Hello everyone, here is Daniel with another episode of our Ecom show and uh, today I'm here with Yura again. Check out episode 49. Back then we talked about entrepreneurship in general and uh, now it's a very international and well-known e-commerce company and how they scaled up to 50 million euros in annual revenue. And fast forward to today, I will talk to him about uh, what has changed. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. So, hey, Yura, good to have you here again. How hey, Daniel. Yeah, it's nice to be here again and looking forward for our chat. Obvious question. So what happened since we talked last time? It was well, last March, well, I think. Or yeah, a lot of, a yeah. Lot of uh, ups, some downs, some challenges, big learnings. Meet a couple of uh, really cool people. But in general, yeah, it was basically, I, I think this year was about like the last 12 months was, okay, how can we actually adjust on based on the privacy changes that actually happen on the push marketing side? So this was one of the challenges that I think we actually partly solve successfully. We have some uh, amazing stories last year. One company actually grew to 42 million yearly revenue. So it was super exciting just building this full stack marketing structure to enable like across not only on the push advertising, but also on the other ones, learn a lot on each channel. So it was really exciting. Grew team, hire a lot of people, meet some new people. So it was good. How big is your team now? Uh, 33. I think a year ago it was like six, something like that. I hope a little bit more. <laughs> so yeah. I think it was actually 15, something like that. So it okay. was it was around 2x growth in the last 12 months. So it was uh, really um, an amazing journey, actually. Yeah. What is your approach? So do you have remote people or you uh, have your people mostly from uh, Slovenia, where you are? From? Uh, both. So we actually started mm. uh, building up the talent here in Slovenia. And last year we actually started hiring internationally. But also the people that are in Slovenia actually have this hybrid or slash remote work style that actually come to the office two to three times per week. Some of them actually work like 100% remotely. So last year we actually did the transition and we're still building of it, trying to actually get the international talent also in the company, because I think it's like one of the crucial things, especially if you want to tackle like the bigger markets, because you need like more senior people. Uh, when you have more people in the team, obviously you need some managers inside yeah. the team. So it's also good not only to look within two million population that we have here in Slovenia, but also work in others. So we actually have like the mixture of both, I would say. Uh, everyone is in Europe or you have people from Asia, American time zones as well? Right now we have Europe only. Yeah, so we okay. are in the same time zone. So we are uh, able to actually work like pretty much yeah. the same hours. We do a lot of like localization, like I also mentioned with the first podcast. So it's really handy if the people are from Europe. So they also know some European markets and it's much easier than to actually execute. Yeah. And I guess same with clients. Most of them, they are from yeah. Europe. Yeah. yeah. Europe, usually it's like Europe, they start within the first markets they are actually founded on. So let's say you have a French company, they usually start selling in France and then we help them like build market by market inside Europe with localization. So 
It's uh, basically scaling first on the existing market and then go to the other markets as well to reach, try to reach like the full potential they have in Europe. I'm really curious what uh, differences you can see between different markets. So maybe French market is less competitive compared to UK or Germany or maybe yeah. Eastern Europe is less competitive. Yeah, yeah. With CPMs, also with regarding like the iOS changes that happen, it was like each of the market have like different response of it because with some, it's like the mostly it's still on Android users. So it wasn't that much effective when the loss of the tracking happened. But in some, it was really hard. So we have like, for example, like in Germany, in France, there was a lot of, especially with the younger generation between like 25 to 34, there was like a lot of uh, people using iOS, a lot of opt-outs. So uh, lost a lot of... Uh, data inside the platform that you can't actually directly optimize obviously you can use other tools to handle that but basically if you compare like germany or france compared to let's say czech republic there is more like android focus it's a huge difference there not only because like there is less advertisers there also the cpms the cpcs are cheaper uh, but also the consumer behavior is totally different so you need like a different type of communication different type of content different type of influencers in a certain market than in others but i would say like going from the english speaking markets obviously with the most competitive ones because the majority of the spend is still allocated within those markets market because it's much easier to actually just figure out the logistic and actually ship the product to those markets than to actually also localize each market by market by it. So I would say that first is like the most competitive that I see based on my experiences. First uh, is the English speaking market. Then it's like this bigger, uh, more developed market like uh, Germany, France is also one of them. Italy, also a big market. Uh, Also on the Western part, like Netherlands, Belgium, on the north is like Sweden, Denmark that are more competitive. And then you have like this untapped also market within like the central, especially here from the going to the east, like and also southeast Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary also being one of them, because these markets are still on a huge rise within the e-commerce. So there are more people buying. And I can also see because I have been in the e-com space for eight years now, started doing like this international sales like six, seven years ago. So I saw also what it means, like how the conversion rate is going up, how the people are uh, actually adapting to buying online, especially uh, with pandemic was a huge push. And the last but not least example that I also saw was uh, we started also doing a lot of TikTok advertising a couple of months ago. And it was a huge difference country by country based on the what's actually the maturity of the TikTok ads in that market because we saw like a huge difference although it might be like a really cool country for Facebook ads, for Google ads, for email marketing, for influencers doesn't necessarily mean that it will directly also convert on TikTok. So we saw like it was similar with uh, Instagram story placements. There was like the early developers was like in uh, Germany, in Italy, in France with the bigger market. More companies are also targeting people there. So people get used to seeing and clicking and buying towards these sets that it's much easier to invest right now there. But it doesn't mean that it won't work in the other markets as well. So that's like a couple of points that I see here when you actually compare like different markets between each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it depends on the platform as well and uh, the country and uh, that's really interesting regarding email marketing i have more insights on that and sms first of all sms is huge now on english speaking markets especially Mm -hmm. us it's really strong there some brands have more money from sms than email which is amazing i think 
in Europe because of GDPR and regulations, it's a bit different. It's a bit harder, especially in Germany and Austria. And when it comes to email, I think uh, it's really good in uh, English speaking markets. On French markets, it's even better. And uh, for some reason, on German speaking markets, especially Germany, it's it's weaker, I think, than in the US, let's say. In the past, we also had a few German clients and uh, we could see this. So mm -hmm. also in Germany, regulations are stricter. Even inside Europe, it's probably the strictest. Let's talk about the Apple update. So iOS, um, <laughs> how was it okay. for you? Was it a ride? <laughs> It was a fun ride. Yeah, it was actually because I'm included in a couple of masterminds uh, that include like the people from the States, right? And the people were actually panicking like between like last year, between March and May. And I was like, well, we're not actually seeing that much effect yet. But it actually also came here to Europe. I think it was the biggest downfall for us. What we actually experienced was between like May and July. So mm -hmm. it was basically, but it wasn't in general on the MER level, what actually the story is producing. It was what actually the platforms were reporting. So we switched uh, the whole mindset between like which metric we were actually observing. We did it, luckily we did it pretty fast. And we have this structure of not having only one channel, but we were actually pushing on multiple different channels. So I think this was the upside for it. But we saw like with some uh, clients uh, that we have, like example, like I said, in Germany, in France, there was really a huge downfall on the performance. And I saw what was actually the difference between like the companies that have like this multi-channel approach already that have like also email marketing covered up that use some SMS that have Google that uh, did like YouTube advertising, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, maybe also Snapchat, then later TikTok. It was a huge difference depending on which scale it was because mm -hmm. I saw like that it was much also harder for the small businesses to actually bootstrap that business because we saw like a couple of years ago in 2019, 20 and uh, 2020, it was like much easier to actually start from zero. You could actually be profitable and start buy some products, start running ads, and you could be profitable within a couple of uh, weeks just running Facebook ads. It was actually a reality check, I would say, yeah. that the it the last few years were a little bit maybe too easy. I wouldn't say it was easy, but maybe it was too easy based on the what kind of uh, scale actually companies got to. So yeah, I think it was for us, it was even more okay. So this is the situation. This is the reality. Everyone is affected. So how can you actually adapt to that? So, yeah. okay, how do we figure out the data loss? Yeah. How do we do that? How do we transition our mindset to look at the other metrics? To not only observe like the on-platform metric, but to look at the broader view, what actually the business is. And not only the ROAS or MER, but to actually also analyze the profitability. What's happening mm -hmm. in the company? What's happening in uh, with the returning customer rate and so on? So uh, this is just some guidelines. And uh, I'm curious about in which direction you want to uh, go to. One question that came up. So what analytical tool do you use? And uh, did you shift to something new? Have you tried new tools? What's your experience? Yeah. I also follow this topic on mostly Facebook, but other platforms yeah. as well. I could name many companies. I, I won't do it now, but people throwing uh, shit on each other sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a fun yeah. because it, overnight everyone has a solution, right? <laughs> yeah. So it was like, uh, first it was a big mess. No one way actually, I think it actually hit harder than expected because the people were like, because there was like in the past, there was a couple of alerts that this could happen, but it didn't happen. So I think like when it actually happened, people still got surprised about how hard it actually affected the performance yeah. because uh, 
it's uh, it was like a comfort zone. You could actually measure everything. You could see the results, scale super fast. And we also have, so before iOS, uh, our, uh, let's say, tool stack was usually like uh, to analyze the data. It was either Shopify with Google Data Studio or Google Analytics with Google Data Studio to actually analyze like in general all the metrics versus the metrics inside the platform. So we actually also... We actually send all the data from the platform to Google Data Studio. So we have like one master Google Data Studio to see how the uh, client is actually performing. And if it's multiple countries, we also stack them together. So after that, it was really important to actually say, okay, what's our one source of truth? So we tested like many tools. So our favorite right now is actually the combination between like Triple Whale. So the Triple Whale being like the Shopify dashboard slash also the attribution platform that can actually stack all the marketing platforms together and in some cases we use like also hires for the bigger spans uh, because it have like a Chrome extension so we can see the data real time but I would say our preferred right now is if it's a Shopify store triple well yeah I also follow hires and uh, that is wiki report as well I think yeah there is I think with each platform I can honestly say that it's hard to say that this is the best one I yeah. think each platform has some pluses and minuses and depending on the needs and what kind of marketer you are also because if you are super in the accounts looking at the data all time you might need uh, a different solution than someone that is more like a generalist just observing what is actually happening on the store level so i think it's good to know which options actually there are on the market and then you find the best fit for you yeah i agree we had our uh, cro expert she's really amazing with analytics and she's okay with google analytics she can do magic with that only because she knows everything about the platform But if, as you said, somebody is more generalist or maybe more visual person who is less into numbers, there are other tools which are more, uh, you know, easier and it just shows you the data, what you really want to know without telling you how it's calculated. You don't have to know it. So when we talked last time, a few weeks ago, you said that one of, and today you also said one of the brands scaled to 42 million. So let's talk about it a bit more. So what's the story there? Is it euros, by the way, or... Yeah, euros, euros. Okay. Yeah, it's euros. It's actually a pretty so it's pretty amazing journey because it was a super super short time frame. So it was a little bit more than two years. Mm-hmm. So super fast growth. We did like the I think what was the winning formula there was like a, obviously an amazing product uh, with the high potential for the returning customer rate because I I'm a huge believer that in order to actually have a business right now that could be super profitable and have this growth potential you need to have like a business that have the potential to have like between 30 to 40 45 percent of the returning customers or a subscription-based business something like that which is basically connected uh, to that so it was basically this the product and then it was I think that we really nailed it in understanding like our customers so we did we invested a lot of time at the beginning to actually survey customer talking to the customers understanding why they actually want to buy to find the right niche to find the right advertising angles and then basically build like the full stack marketing approach based on the okay what's what are our acquisitions channels what are our retention channels how do we implement influencers into that when do we actually start an ambassador program and we implemented all this in one market and then we basically analyze okay which are the markets that are similar so basically 
the road for them was actually to really master the home market. So where they actually were coming from and then go market by market. And the first approach was that we added the first two markets were pretty similar to the ones that they were coming from. And then we actually tackled the bigger market because then we were doing like between 500 to 800K per month. And then we say, okay, we are ready for the bigger market. And then basically implement the system, how to get these direct response creatives. We also uh, hired like a couple of shooting teams to actually create like this branded performance creatives. So I said branded performance because I we wanted to combine like branding and performance together. So it looks good and it also triggers the needs to actually buy the product. Yeah. If I would uh, need to point down the factors, I think this was it together with the localization, obviously in Europe. Yeah. And you said you already hit 500, 800K with smaller countries without going to bigger markets, right? I think that's amazing because my agency's primary market is not uh, smaller countries in in Europe. We work mostly with US, Canadian, UK clients, but still I know people here and uh, I barely remember any who hit those numbers in these smaller markets. Uh, Yeah, it was for us, it was really wanted to crack the code on the digital marketing because we wanted in the niche, we wanted to become like the leaders on the market. So it basically empowered us to then also decrease the spendings because of the returning customers. So basically the spendings that we were investing, it was mostly for the acquiring new customer. There were some in reactivating, but we basically we found like a really good niche, really cheap like CPMs. Then we say, okay, what can we do to acquire as many customers as possible? So yeah. we had like some markets, we have like 200K customers. So, and when you have uh, 200K customers with a good product behind and a good returning customer rate, you have also a lot of referrals after that. So basically yeah. you then you spread. And this is basically the strategy because I think if we would start on a bigger market, I don't believe that we could reach this kind of numbers that fast because we and were able to become a brand this fast, right? No, no, no way. Yeah. I think we would need to, on one market, we would need to hit like in Germany, we would need to hit like 50 million per year in order to say, okay, mm-hmm. we have a brand. Because I, I think this term brand is actually overused because people actually put the name on the product and say, I have a brand. They pay for the photo shooting and say they have a brand. But basically the brand is when yeah. you can actually turn off the ads and the sales will still come to your yeah. store. I have my own little theory on this, by the way. I think... Uh, okay. Dropshipping uh, was a very fancy term like four or five years ago, yeah. less maybe. And after uh, everyone said that I have a brand because dropshipping yeah. became not a nice word anymore, people started yeah. hating it and uh, everyone started having a brand. But yeah, as you and said... becoming uh, a growth hacker, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, brand is is overused, the word itself, for sure. Yeah, and smaller markets, yeah, it's easier and, and less money and uh, it takes less time to build a brand, for sure. Yeah, also, uh, if you actually are going through the like the biggest influencers, so you can also like spread the word and build this like hype around the brand, like with smaller budgets there. So you can actually test faster, cheaper, and also get like the bigger player on the market, like rather quickly, because for us, it was like integration between like the paid advertising, between like the influencers and the retention channels and building a community. So I think it was like a smart mix of this. And it was because we were on this untapped market or a cheaper market, but we still knew them pretty well. We were able to actually get the traction super quickly and get to the right people and one one needle mover for us was also when we started like especially on the influencer marketing side when we started like hiring locals 
to run influencer marketing campaigns for us. Because before that, it was like, okay, we want to actually have someone internal in the central team, let's say from Slovenia, speaking English and trying to plan like influencer marketing campaign in Germany. It won't happen. You need someone local. Because they know the market, they know who's the big player, what's the trend, what's the rates. So this was also one of the big uh, needle movers for us. And I also yeah. come like, so before starting scale, I was also in one company that was super hard on the localization. So I was actually used to go as a local player to each market. So basically it was a logical move for me. Yeah, actually I looked for a book uh, here, but uh, it's on my shelf, not here. Uh, okay. David Ogilvy, Ogilvy on advertising. I think, uh, do you know this one or have you read this one? Yeah, I haven't, but I know it. It's on the to-do list. On the I really liked list. it. Uh, it's okay. a very story-based book and very light, you know. It's not like something very scientific, nothing like that. Ogilvy was a very practical, easygoing guy. So mm-hmm. I like the tone of the book, but still professional. And what I just wanted to say, now Ogilvy has, I think, more than 100 offices in more than 100 countries all over the world. And uh, what he also said that is that uh, in every country, local people should work on the marketing campaigns for local companies. His first foreign office was in... Uh, Canada, I think. He was originally from UK. And the first foreign office was in Canada for Shell because Shell Canada wanted them to uh, help them in Canada. And they spoke the same language, right? They uh, spoke English, but still they didn't understand the Canadian market. So he realized Mm -hmm. that he needs to hire local people in Canada. And uh, after he realized that every country you need local people because they understand the context, there are current events. For example, now in Hungary, we will have the elections next or this week, actually. And if you are from China, you you don't have an idea about it. So you need local people and their knowledge. That being said, I wanted to ask, so uh, content is created by influencers, right? Uh, in the local it's market. a mixture yeah so it's mm-hmm. like uh, we try to always have like several different sources of content it's not like only UGC we do a lot of UGC but basically it's one is like the internal shooting so the company is actually organizing a shooting we our creative strategies actually help them plan the mood board how it's going to look like brief on the best performance and so on so this is one the second one is that we actually built like we have some partners with the shooting teams that we can actually co- shoot content in other areas yeah, so one, mm-hmm. one team that we have right now is in Bali, one team is here in Europe, so we can produce content there. So it's still, I wouldn't say like the shooting content that is that and it doesn't work anymore. Far from that, I think it's great to actually also build up this brand perception and it also converts in some cases super well, especially if it's scripted and you understand like what on the angles, background, what the models needs to look like. So these are two. The next one is influencers. So influencers is like, one is like the paid collaborations we have, they post organic. The second one is the content creations that we have. And the biggest, I believe, is most powerful, especially of building like this retention strategy behind this, like your customers. So how can you actually leverage also the customers to produce not only the written content with the written testimonials, but also how they can actually produce like the content that would be like a social proof for you. So mm-hmm. this is basically basically the core pillars of the content we want to tackle. I guess you have someone in your team who picks the local influencers. Like, yeah. uh, and uh, that person is from uh, Slovenia or... Uh, no, I- so it's we usually try to find like the local to communicate and find like the locals. Yeah. And basically what we are building right now is to have like this database behind to actually understand, okay, which are the go-to influencers on the certain market? Because we work on still a limited number of projects. This is also the 
direction that we want to stay loyal to because we are a boutique e-commerce agency. But there are still like some uh, similarities regarding which markets are we going through. So meaning mm-hmm. we have we can have free project in Poland, let's say. So we can actually share also the database how a certain influencer is actually performing. What is like the impressions, how many swipe ups did they have, what was the conversion rate, what was the niche that they were coming from and for which kind of project. So we actually tried to create like this database regarding the performance. So we started building this this year and it's producing like some really cool insights. And I think we would be even much smarter going further and planning because otherwise it's just guessing. And I think it's yeah. super important to actually have the data behind because otherwise you just check, okay, this is the engagement rate. This is the following from the influencers. Let's hope for the best. And then if you have like some proven traction behind, it's much easier to actually plan. I think many people, the reason why they don't start with influencer marketing because they don't trust the influencer and uh, the potential yeah. return. Because with Facebook, uh, you have the ROAS and I know there are big differences there too, but uh, still it's, uh, you know, you throw in the money, you get it back. But with influencers, sometimes it's less reliable, right? If you don't know the numbers, like yeah. uh, especially if the influencer is really off from your audience, then yeah. you just throw out the money. Yeah, it's basically it. But I think it's about like, it's similar to the, uh, it's still similar to advertising. It is person-to-person communication. But if you have like important to actually tackle like several different sizes of influencers to have like, okay, I want to go with nano, micro, macro, some celebrities to actually put in the mix and then understand, okay, what is actually working for you? Because it's similar to video advertising or email marketing or Facebook ads. It doesn't mean that Facebook ads don't work or influencers don't work. Yeah. You might just have the wrong influencers. Yeah, or yeah. You, might, you might have shitty email marketing newsletter or something like that. And that's the yeah. reason why it doesn't work. And it's about like what to create like the environment to enable you to test and to actually analyze the data behind for you to actually get smarter. And, but I think at the beginning, it's like a learning curve and the people don't want to actually go through this process. They want to, let's say, uh, they want to ship like the products to five influencers and expect like five ROAS on that collaboration. Yeah. In the majority yeah, yeah. of cases, it won't happen. If it is, it's luck. But you need to actually have, you need to treat this like an additional marketing channel. We also have like this mindset inside the company that basically the spend on the influencer marketing side is treated as the media buying spend. This is also included in the end calculation of the MER. So how much did you invest in influencer? Mm-hmm. How much did you invest in Facebook? How much did you invest in Google? Basically, at the end of the day, if you take it seriously, you could build up a system there. And I know many companies that have like 40% of the total like budget put in the marketing mix in the influencer marketing side. And they do like mid eight figures. So yeah. that's why I believe it's a little bit harder, harder to crack. But if you do it, there's a huge upside. It's really about understanding psychology and direct response marketing, branding as well. But I think the basics comes with direct response marketing and then uh, you can add branding on the top of it. I have one more question for you. I follow you on Instagram. So I can see that uh, sometimes you put out Mamba mindset. So what is yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> huh? I don't um... follow basketball. I think it's okay. Kobe Bryant, right? And yeah, you, yeah. you used to play yeah. basketball. Basically, so. it's like, for me, I love this mindset because it's like this endless drive of progress and chasing the win. So it's like, for me, it's this is something 
that yeah, Kobe Bryant actually developed. His nickname was Black Mamba. And basically the mindset behind this was Mamba mentality. And this is basically just trying to become like the best version of yourself, trying to inspire like others that are around you. And I'm really a huge believer of this kind of mindset because although I'm not a professional sports guy or something like that, I still believe like we can all learn a lot from this sports people because they were really dedicated to achieve like the results they were and one of the biggest learnings last year i actually got like studying uh, the sports people and their coaches mm-hmm. it was like okay what needs to change on the mindset because i think technical part you learn it it's yeah. about like to having the discipline the stamina the belief to actually chase something so that's basically the the number mindset that i believe in and uh, how i see me progressing and actually fighting all the challenges on my way i have this mindset as well sometimes i share it with our team too it's a japanese word i don't remember it but uh basically uh, it also means that constant progress and always iterate mm. always optimize each and every day add the one mm. percent every day and there will be a huge growth when you look back how much you improved yeah because i think we're also in this kind of business actually because if you look yeah. at for us it's like the endless chase of different targets So it's not like, oh, yeah, I hit this target, that's it. But basically, it's always something that you can do better. It's dangerous. Actually, it's uh, beneficial, but it's also dangerous. Because I think on one end, you could be over-motivated or over-disappointed. Yeah, and then burn out. Yeah, and basically, it's, I think, to fight these challenges between, okay, I am comparing with someone, I'm competing with someone, or I want to be the best version of myself. So it's, I think it's a hard, hard one to crack because there is so many positive and negative signals here in the game of e-commerce, performance marketing, and so on. So it's yeah. a definitely super interesting talk, topic. I found my word is called Kaizen. Okay, yeah, think, yeah, 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 I know it. I think it's the same as uh, the Mamba mindset. So yeah, yeah. just with different words. Yeah, we will add uh, these links to the description as well so everyone can click as well. Awesome. And, uh, Thanks for coming again, uh, Yura. It was really, I think it was really insightful. We discussed many different topics and maybe we can have one more episode next week and uh, you can 10x one more until then. <laughs> yeah. Challenge I don't want to put pressure to, uh, on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's only seven days, you know. Yeah, also thank you everyone who listened to us. Stay tuned. Every week we come out with two episodes now. We just doubled the number of episodes recently. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Have a great day. Amazing. Thank you very much for listening to us.